Turn with me, please, to the third chapter of the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 3. Had a, long, a lot of time, really, on our trip to meditate, to pray, to think about the Lord's mercies and his goodness and our journey over the past near 50 years when uh, I began in the public ministry. I'll be doing something that I don't usually do this morning in a message. I'll be giving some personal testimony and uh, of God's faithfulness and his work and in our church, in this ministry, that the Lord Jesus Christ, by his will and according to the work of his Holy Spirit, brought into being and has sustained to this very day. Sometimes like... Uh, John Newton wrote, through many dangers, toils, and snares. And yet God's mercy, his grace, attends our way. And we rejoice in him and give him all the praise. It's all by the blessing of our Lord and absolutely nothing else from him. And this passage, of course, has the verse in it that we as a church, and the church has not been here for 50 years, uh, it was started a couple of years after I had entered into the public ministry, the first church that I pastored. We found out within a couple of weeks was more a social club than a church. It was not built upon the truth or the word of God, nor the gospel of God's wondrous grace, but it was built upon a social type situation. And it was pretty good-sized at the time I went there <laughs> until we began proclaiming and teaching and preaching and expounding the Word of God, and it began to change drastically. But we uh, were moved of God and by His Spirit to begin another work which uh, began in a civic center off of Nine Mile Road in in uh, Richmond, Barbara will remember. Jimmy was with us at that time. Uh, last evening, Bob, who enjoyed so much sitting around the fire and uh, the fellowship, and blessed fellowship we had last evening. Uh, on the way home, as we drove him home, and Carolyn took, uh, I drove him, Carolyn took uh, Carol home and uh, was telling me how much he missed Jimmy. We missed Jimmy. Jimmy was a part of that uh, time when we were organizing into a church. And uh, God has been so merciful to us all of these years. I remember that I had planned on working a secular job and then pastoring until the church was in such a condition that it could afford a full-time pastor. And uh, the church said, no, we want you to be a full-time pastor. You remember that, I guess, Barbara. No, we want you full-time in the ministry if it costs us to do this. And unbeknownst, I guess, at the time, they had actually employed a principle that the Lord Jesus taught. He said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you, everything you need. And we watched that. We've watched that for all these years. 
we watch the Lord provide in wondrous ways at times and uh, in ways that we could not begin to fully express. Of course, we give praise to him for his goodness and his mercies. I remember when uh, finally after month after month, the Lord dealt with me in a very special way concerning the ministry of the word of God in calling me specifically to the pastoral ministry to feed his sheep. I remember at the time, of course, I was working in secular radio. I had a pretty good job. I had come along pretty well with it. I had had promotion after promotion and, and had gotten into the commercial end of it and uh, had taken an account list that was 20 and it, the Lord under his mercy enabled me to increase that to 50. And I was still doing on the air work. <clears throat> but as happened, things began to come multiple ways that I could not engage in as a Christian. I had to take a stand. Well, there were several times I had to take a stand in uh, that particular business. But the time came when I realized I can no longer do this. And yet the word of God says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and he will provide what is necessary. And so, uh, as my wife will testify to, I resigned not knowing what lay ahead. Not knowing what would happen. Knowing only that I could not further engage in what was being brought about through this particular radio station. What happened the next day? I got a phone call. I got a phone call from a man who owned the radio station in Ashland. It purported to be a Christian station. He'd heard about my work. He wanted me to come up here. He wanted me to, uh, to have an interview and take over this, the commercial end of the radio station and manage that. And uh, so we moved. <laughs> we moved to Virginia. I was called to the ministry, but I never sought a place to preach. But he did give me a 30-minute slot on Thursday evening so I could open and teach the Word of God on the radio. The church in the eastern part of uh, Richmond heard it that was without a pastor, wanted me to come and preach to them, speak to them. So I agreed to do so. Then they wanted me to come and be an interim pastor, continue teaching and preaching. I was only 26, I think it was. Very young at the time, 26 years old. After about three times, they wanted me to be the pastor of that church, and I didn't want to be the pastor of that church. And as a matter of fact, uh, I said, I know at least one family that is opposed to me, and I said, I wouldn't take the church unless it was a unanimous vote. I said, that'll settle that. They, I won't have to worry about it. Guess what? It was unanimous. <laughs> there I was. And learning by experience more than I could ever learn through seminary courses that I've taken. Experience is a great teacher. And so, <clears throat> after a while, I realized it's not going to work here. Now, the short of it is, of course, I left, and, we, uh, and there were those who left before me. I didn't take anybody out of the church. They took me. <laughs> that was the strange thing. They had all gone before. 
and wanted to organize into a church. And so we did. And when we did, we selected prayerfully a verse of scripture behind me. You read it when you come in and sit in the pews. The Lord Jesus says in Revelation 3.8, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Actually, in a few minutes, I want to expound particularly upon verse 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Well, we've seen some incredible things, of course, in this ministry as well. Of course, we had lean times, struggling times, and yet God remained faithful to us all the time. Uh, matter of fact, the, the house we live in was a divine gift. By God's providence, it was given to us, and it enabled a full-time ministry. It was amazing. There were times that we went, I went five years without an increase. I don't want an increase. I don't need an increase now. We have everything we need, believe me. And that, so I don't ask for that. But at the time, we struggled. Uh, we, uh, we struggled. We uh, always had what we needed, but bare sometimes and barely. And at the time, we were making payments. We had to pay for this building. The building, thank the Lord, it's paid for. It's all taken care of. The Lord provided all along until everything was taken care of and paid for. And uh, yet th there was a time that we only had a few families at the time. And they said, we're going to give our pastor an increase in his income. And they did. We're going to do it by faith. You know what happened the next day? The very next day. Another church that had organized called and said, can we take your building and use it just in the afternoon for a service and we'll pay half the cost? <laughs> I mean, we've watched incredible things over the years, marvelous acts of God's providence for which we thank him and praise him. He brought this into being. It's his church. It belongs to the Lord Jesus. Not me. I'm only part of it. <laughs> but I'm so thankful to be a part of it. How about you? This is a wondrous thing that God has done here. And I, of course, I did a lot of reflecting over those 50 years now in public ministry. And how blessed. The great faithfulness of God. But this passage... I want to deal with because it particularly, I think, affects us. I'll read in Revelation chapter 3 and verses 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth, and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, 
and hast not denied my name. That signifies your strength is very small. You could not keep this door open. I set before thee an open door. That's what we have in meaning here. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet, and to know that I have loved thee. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold fast that which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Well, I've studied this passage over and over again sometimes. It's a very blessed passage, really and uh, written to this church of brotherly love, Philadelphia, given through the messenger, the Lord sent. You know the word angel means messenger. It signifies what one is to do, not what they are particularly in themselves. So the word angel is the word that signifies here's a messenger. Here's one that's given the responsibility to give forth what the Lord gives. I can remember, of course, when uh, studying this particular church, and I found, uh, read somewhere, a very simple way uh, that uh, this passage was divided for a message. Number one, little. It wasn't a big church. It was small, small in strength. Secondly, much tried. Obviously, they had a lot of persecution, difficult things that had come. And thirdly, faithful, faithful to the Lord through it all. And fourthly, greatly blessed. Now, if I was going to do a particular type of outline for a message on this particular church, that would be a very good outline. That would be a good way to understand the overall message. But we're going to look particularly at one verse today. We're going to focus our attention upon the blessedness belonging to those to whom the Lord can rightly say, Thou hast kept the word of my patience. That's big. That's huge. Thou hast kept the word of my patience. We'll expound upon that later. When the Lord brought this church to which you and I belong into being, we took verse 8, of course, of this passage for our church verse. Behold, I've set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. 
we understood that if God was going to do a work through this ministry that was going to be fought, that we have an adversary. There were various ways that this ministry was going to be opposed. There was no such thing. If you're serving God in truth, if you're obeying him aright, no way you're going to get out of difficulties and oppositions and things that will attempt to destroy that work. There is an adversary. But that verse teaches us that the Lord Jesus opens the door. And when he says, no man can shut it, that means there's no warfare that's going to be able to destroy what the Lord Jesus Christ brings into being and what he opens. Well, that expectation of opposition was not ill-founded, was it? <laughs> not at all. We've had our oppositions over the years. We've had the attempts to destroy this ministry over the years. But we took that verse we took it in faith, trusting that if we met the qualification of that verse, that being, thou hast kept my word and hast not denied my name, even though we were small in number, even though we were unable in our own strength and our own resources to keep the door open, that the Lord himself would keep open the door that he opened to begin with. And our faith was not misplaced. But we want to look, I want to look at a verse that is so precious today, and that's verse 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Well, the title to this message, Little and Much Tried. Little and Much Tried. And yet, no matter how little our own strength, no matter how real and difficult the warfare spiritually waged against us from the adversary, we shall be among the overcomers if we are part of that qualification of verse 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience. So, <clears throat> again, I'm really very simple. <laughs> you know, I like simple things. I like things that are very simple like David said one thing have I desired of the Lord that's just one that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple so I have a very simple outline for this verse number one the word to be kept number two those who keep the word Number three, the promise of Christ to keep the keepers of his word. The word to be kept. Again, in verses 8 and 10. I know thy works. 
Behold, I've set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. And verse 10, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Well, one old expositor put it this way, that in verse 10, we have a remarkable description of the gospel. A remarkable description of the gospel. There is here in few words a very remarkable description. The Lord had shown his approval of those of this church when he said in verse 8, Thou hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. Well, of course, the one thing is absolutely dependent upon the other thing. It is a blessed thing to see here that the Lord is giving his approval, nothing but his approval, to those who loved his word and loved one another. This is, after all, the church of brotherly love, Philadelphia. This does not mean they were perfect. It does not mean that they didn't struggle with sin. But as has been said, in our poor stained service, he recognizes the central motive and main drift, and accepting these, is glad when he can commend. I'm amazed at God's mercies. I'm amazed that he would save a sinner like me. I'm amazed that in his purpose and in his grace and in a love that comes only from him and nothing drawn from anything in me, that he would love me with an everlasting love. I can't comprehend it. But I believe it. We have known and believed the love that God had to us. And it's amazing to me why over these last couple of weeks I could not help but day by day think of the incredible mercies of God. How merciful. And praise Him and thank Him and give Him glory for His mercies. They're beyond what I can fully comprehend. <laughs> How blessed our God. How good He is. How great his mercies, how abundant, how rich, as the scriptures use certain adjectives to describe those mercies of our God. It's wondrous. No, they weren't perfect. But he knew the drift of their hearts and commends them. Well, I think... Uh, Pretty good illustration that I used before, years ago, works. When a child would express his or her love to their parents, they might make something for them very imperfectly. I remember some of Amy's imperfect things, you know, when she was a very little girl. Thanksgiving, she drew a pilgrim, put the hat on it upside down. 
But, of course, that was, she was just a tiny little girl doing those things. And here we had a picture of a pilgrim with an upside-down hat. Very imperfect at the time. But we didn't say to her, well, you know, we could go to the store and buy something far better than that. No, we loved those things. We loved getting those things. That gift meant much more than if we'd gone and had $500 to buy something with. And the Lord loves our imperfect gifts. Our hearts toward him. Even though we struggle with sin. Even though we fight with these things. The Lord says, Thou hast kept my word. Then there's an incredible illustration and meaning and illumination to what he said when he says in verse 10, The word of my patience. Ponder that. The word of my patience. Well, we should think, well, you know, it's really, isn't it patience in keeping the word? <laughs> yeah, that's involved too. Just as we have in uh, the parable of the sower and the seed, when the Lord Jesus says, that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it. And bring forth fruit with patience. Well, yes, it's patiently keeping the word. But here in this particular verse 10 of Revelation 3, it goes even further. And the truth is that all of our patience, that word patience, of course, you know, in Scripture means far more than simple endurance. It means to continue in obedience and duty, persisting and doing right no matter what, no matter the opposition, no matter the difficulties that come. But what our Lord is saying here is that our patience, our perseverance, our overcoming, our continuance in duty and faith, no matter what comes our way, is drawn from His that's an incredible thing be saying. Behold the word of my patience. The word of my patience thou hast kept. What a wondrous thing. What's he talking about? What is it he's talking about? Well, just like when you read in the Psalms when God says in, or we say in prayer to our God, in thy light shall we see light. So it is that in our Lord's patience, his perfect perseverance to the end, through every opposition, though the end was a cross, Out of his patience is drawn the strength for our own patience. It's interesting when John the Apostle, whom God used to write this on the Isle of Patmos, given this book of the Revelation, he says in Revelation chapter 1 9, I, John, 
who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and notice in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the Isle of Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. John says, I'm your brother, I'm your companion, and all you're going to suffer in the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and the patience, the patience of our Lord Jesus. Very important. There's only one way. We will run the race with patience. There's only one way we will run it and complete it and gain, and, and gain the crown that is promised. And that is by a faith that looks only to Christ. By a faith that looks only to him that draws everything from him. A faith that overcomes because of his grace, his enablement. He before us, he in our sight, spiritually speaking. Looking to him only. Seeing we also are accomplished about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience. The race that is set before us. How do you do that? Looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him. Endured the cross. Despising the shame. And is set down at the right hand of God. That's from Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2. We only overcome. We overcome. We only continue in spite of every opposition, every disappointment, every heartache. We only come under every trial to continue when we learn to look only to our Lord and trust Him and realize there's nothing we could ever suffer in this world that would compare to His suffering for us. The Lord said to some in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, If you continue in my word, if you continue in my word, then you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Our Lord's whole course on earth may be summed up by the unfaltering, humble, loving submission to his Father. All that he did, he did with a perfect love for God the Father. While facing every opposition, all the sufferings greater than anyone ever encountered. Yet his heart could say, my meat, that which satisfies me, that which nourishes me. My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. <clears throat> And what do you know? All the way, all the way to the time of the cross, all the way to the time of Calvary, up until that very time when the Lord knew all the agony that must come upon him, when he'd already suffered in his own soul, when he could say, now is my soul troubled. 
And what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour, but for this cause came I unto this hour. What is his purpose? Father, glorify thy name. And what happens when he comes down to that time when the greatest suffering any ever underwent he faces? He says to his apostles, Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. Where? To Gethsemane, to Calvary. The hardest of tasks, when strength seems to be all gone, sapped, or the love of ease attempts to make excuse. The only way that will be overcome, and our labor be taken, if we bear a cross. And we hear our Lord and we look to him who says to us in essence, look to me, be like me, remember the word of my patience. That's quite a phrase, isn't it? What a mouthful. There's one thing to be kept. One thing. Simple. One thing. Nothing else. No matter what else appeals to men. Be it be programs. Music. Ceremonies. Nothing is commended of our Lord but this. Thou hast kept my word. And hast not denied my name. That's it. Thou hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. Thou hast kept the word of my patience. Well, the church to which you and I belong was brought into existence on this basis that the preaching of the word and the exposition of the word would be central, dominant, thorough that nothing would be brought into comparison with it. Lord willing, isn't that not the way we want it to continue? And so, let's consider those who keep the word. Again in verse 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep them from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Well, <clears throat> those who keep the word are those who treasure it above everything else. You want to keep your treasure. From the beginning of time, men that have had great things in this world, worldly possessions, they want a way to protect those possessions. 
I mean, it's smart in many ways. In the day in our life, people want to know who you are so they can get your identification and take everything you got, right? I mean, so, but, and so if you have that and you realize, well, if they get that, we're not going to be able to make it or something. And, and there are wise ways to keep and protect what you have. That's not wrong. People want to keep what they treasure. There are those who see in the word of God the treasure that word is. What a treasure. The infinite, eternal, magnificent, glorious God who brought all things into his existence has given us his word. He speaks here. He who spoke and it was done as far as creation speaks to us by his word and by his spirit. The keeping of the word here is the picture of one who possesses something that is so absolutely valuable, so cherished, so appreciated above everything else that great care is taken to keep it, to keep it in the heart. Of the two things that take place in one who truly cherishes the word of God above every earthly treasure. The first thing is that they will seek it. They will read it. They will meditate upon it. They want to learn its glorious truths above all else. They will pursue learning it. They will be able to say with the psalmist, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Don't we live in our heart where a treasure is? The Lord said something about that. It would apply here too with his word. Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy precepts. So shall I talk of thy wondrous works. Order my steps in thy word. Let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This is the treasure supreme given. The other thing is the heart inclined to keep it in patience, showing love supremely for the Lord who is revealed in the word by constant obedience to him, by seeking what he teaches us into practice, by recognizing him as Lord supreme who loved us gave himself for us and says he that hath my commandments and keepeth them he it is that loveth me and he that loveth me shall be loved of my father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him isn't that a wondrous promise talk about communion with the Lord walk with him obey his word be faithful to him put his kingdom first in everything 
And you know communion with him. Those who treasure the word, those who find it their greater treasure than anything in this world, will also say, as did the psalmist, not only thy word have I hid in mine heart, but also I have not hid thy righteousness within my heart. Their desire is to glorify him, to magnify him, to honor his holy name. These are those who will not look to any strength of their own. They will not trust in themselves. They will not have confidence in the flesh. They will look to Christ and his word alone to keep them. This church of Philadelphia, church of brotherly love, didn't have numbers. They didn't have wealth. They didn't have that which the world would look upon and say, this is a successful ministry. They didn't have that. But they had that which was even greater. I have set before thee an open door. And no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word. And hast not denied my name. That word which reveals Christ. Which reveals that he is the head of the church. That he is sovereign king in the kingdom of God. They took the throne of David. Ascended into the heavenlies as Peter taught and preached right on the day of Pentecost. He personally secures the existence and the open door of the church. That is, that it continues to function, to serve, to magnify him, to love and serve one another. I have set before thee an open door. And no man can shut it. That's his work. Then, thirdly, we have the promise of Christ to keep those who keep the word. Again in verse 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. This church was facing a severe hour, a crisis. I'm not talking about something happening at the end of the world. It wouldn't have had any effect. It wouldn't have had any application for them. He's talking about something that affects them. It starts there. An hour of severe trial. But they were given a promise, and that promise was greater than any trial whatsoever. That promise was greater than anything they could face from a hostile and Christ-hating world. 
not something we just all of a sudden in our age have come up upon. That's been the case for the world for thousands of years. This trial was not limited to that church. Certainly not, as is erroneously taught, simply to a period just before the Lord's coming. James B. Ramsey wrote a commentator, uh, a commentary on the book of Revelation. I think he just did 11 chapters. It's good. Make you think. A lot of, a lot of things that he brings forth that are very much rich. And uh, <clears throat> he could apply it this way. This is not to be taken as a prediction of a specific time of trial that was to come and pass away once for all but as the announcement of the fact that none in any age or place or circumstance can escape this hour. Those who truly keep Christ's word, no matter the trial, they have the assurance our Lord himself gives that they shall be kept from not in the sense of being exempt from the difficulty. Kept from. The word also means out of. Or sustained, if you please. And brought through the trial. Whether from temptation to sin. Or to give up because of trouble and difficulty and hard things. They should be kept. There's nothing that shall destroy them. How blessed we are if we learn <clears throat> cast all your care upon him. For he careth for you. How blessed is it for the psalmist we learn to cast everything on him. And he promises to sustain us. Cast thy burden upon the Lord. And he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Apart from him it is impossible. We keep ourselves. Apart from him there is nothing but disappointment. Nothing in this world but hard things. We sat around the fire and enjoyed fellowship last night. Enjoyed a sweet time. Watch those sparks. Which way did they go? Which way did those sparks go? <laughs> they went upward. They go spark, 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 spark. Every once in a while, one tried to get out and get me, but, but they kept going upward, upward, upward. As the sparks fly upward. That's the way man's trouble is. In this world. But the troubles that are appointed for God's people have a purpose that is perfect. God is working everything out in that purpose for an eternal good to conform us to the image of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're to learn to cast thy burden upon the Lord. And he shall sustain thee. 
He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. It doesn't mean that the difficulty will be removed. It doesn't mean that the trial all of a sudden is going to come to an end. Well, sometimes that happens, but it means whatever takes place, he will keep you through it. He will strengthen you in it. Not only that, according to 1 Peter 1, he'll purge your faith and make it stronger. We need those things. Nothing comes but what we need under God's good providence toward us. It has been aptly said, outward circumstances will not be emptied of their power to tempt but our susceptibility will be deadened in proportion as we keep the word of the patient Christ. And let us remember that one of the temptations that we must overcome is the temptation to look to ourselves, the temptation to trust our own devices, the temptation to lean to our human understanding to find a way out rather than looking only to our Lord to keep us, to provide all that's needed to serve him through the open door that he alone opens. So let us learn one thing. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world, to try them that dwell upon the earth. And let us look only and always to the one who seated on the throne, the eternal throne, enthroned Lord we serve. That he has power and that he's the one who promises to keep us. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with eternal joy. One day the struggle will be ended. One day the warfare will be over. One day the patent of trials will be passed. A lot of meditating, thinking upon things during our trip. All the pains we now suffer, they're temporary. All the oppositions that now come against us, they will cease. The devil himself and his emissaries will be cast into the lake of fire. And all who are of him. But even greater than that, one day, no more sin. No more temptation. It'll all be past. I think of a loving father and mother. A loving father and mother, they see their little one hurt in some way and their tears come. They'll come and gather them in their arms and they will wipe those tears away. And they'll comfort them. God shall wipe away all those tears. He'll do it. 
Isn't that amazing? It says, God shall wipe those tears away. The loving Father. His child. Now taken in his loving arms, comforted, and he wipes the tears away. God shall wipe away their tears. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. We need these things now. They're temporary. They're going to pass. They shall hunger no more. Neither shall they thirst any more. Neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Isn't that precious? That is precious. How blessed. How glorious our God. How merciful. How gracious. How a love that spans eternity that we cannot yet fully comprehend the breadth and length and depth and height of. But God made it known in the cross. Taking our sins and bearing them and suffering all of the just wrath of God that our God would be just and the justifier of him who believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Struggle will be over one day. Our Lord has assured us that by his own grace, that grace of his alone, as we hold fast, we shall reach our divinely appointed destination. He will bring us there. And wonder of wonders, crown us. We in him are royalty. I think again of my dear friend now with the Lord, Pastor Hubert Davis. said, if the church ever finds out who she is, there will be a revival. He will crown us. There are no people on the face of this earth like you who are in Christ. And God has made you his peculiar people. And we read in verse 11. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Big verses there, aren't they? Huge things that were taught in the Word of God and the treasure God gives us. Let's sing him. Twenty-seven. Twenty-seven.
Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions, they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see. Thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness.